Lord. Isn't it wonderful when we sing those old anthems of how great our God is? Because, like Brother Tyrone was saying, that's exactly why we are here this morning, church. Praise God. It was a wonderful time that we had at the Gospel Symposium yesterday. For those of you who did come out and join us, um, it was wonderful just to hear the history of Harlow and what the gospel has done and how the message of Jesus Christ still stands head and shoulders over every other ideology, philosophy, whatever else there is out there, that Jesus Christ is still Lord today. And our Lord still has something to say into this world that we live in. Praise God. Would you bow your heads with me and let's just go to the Lord as we come around the word. Blessed Father, we want to thank you that we have this wonderful opportunity, Lord, of just coming with no threat upon our lives, Lord Jesus. There's no worry that the door's going to be kicked down, Lord, and we'll be arrested and thrown into jail, Lord God, Father, for proclaiming the name that is above every other name. And so, Father, we pray that help us, Lord, not to take these freedoms lightly, Lord God, but, Father, to seize every opportunity that we have, Lord, to proclaim your name, to receive from you, and then in turn to give to our fellow man and woman. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you for being with us this morning. We thank you, Lord God, and we continue to submit and bow before the name that is above every other name. And, Holy Spirit, we pray right now. That as we're in this attitude of worship, will you open hearts, will you open minds, will you anoint my mouth, God, to bring forth whatever you want to say this day. And pray, God, that it goes down into fertile ground. And Lord, may it produce a harvest for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now it seems... That the power which once belonged to the elite of society has now been put into the hands of the common people, as it were. As once upon a time, food critics were people of celebrity who could eat the most delectable meal and savour the most finest of wines and articulate their findings in the most descriptive manner. But today... People just post a picture of their food up on social media, proving that anyone could be a connoisseur or an expert in food. And the less words and the more emojis, the better. What's more is that one could go online and write a review or even rate their experience at that particular restaurant or holiday destination. And if they weren't completely satisfied... And if their review gets enough hits, then it could potentially go viral, persuading or dissuading others from ever going there. In other words, the power to influence, especially in this digital age, is huge. And power in the rightful hands is a wonderful thing. But in the wrong hands, it is devastating as it has the potential to destroy and corrupt. 
And that said, allow me to present the final installment of our mini-series entitled The Idols of the Heart, and with its subheading, Money, Sex, and Power. And as you've probably guessed, today we're going to look at the idol of power. Thank you, Angie. And so if you have your Bibles with you, please open up and come with me to the Gospel of... Sorry, not the Gospel... Well, it's an, it's an old gospel according to Daniel, if you like. But it's the Old Testament. It's Daniel chapter 4. And we're going to read from chapter uh, 4 and verses 20 to 27. I'm a bit echoey up here, guys. Is that some feedback coming back? Okay, you're on it. Now, this account is it's of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar who has a frightening dream and his uh, wise men are unable to give him the meaning. And so he calls on Daniel to provide the interpretation because Daniel knew his God and Yahweh gave him the interpretation. And it reads, verse 20. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, whose top reached to the sky and was visible to the whole earth, and whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. On it was food for all. Under it the wild animals lived, and in its branches the birds of the sky lived. That tree is you, your majesty. For you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. The king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share food with the wild animals for seven periods of time. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree of the Most High that has been issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. As for the command to leave, this trees, uh, to leave the tree stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my king, Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now so far in our mini-series, We have looked at the idols of money and sex through the lives of Zacchaeus, Jacob and Leah. And if you have missed any of those series, then don't worry, you can catch them again on our YouTube channel. Just a quick shameless plug there. 
Now, as previously mentioned, and by way of a quick recap, the definition of an idol is something or someone that absorbs our heart and our imagination more than God. It is something to which we give God-like status to and from which we draw our security, our significance and self-worth from. And should we ever lose this idol? Well... Life itself would become meaningless. In other words, an idol is whatever we look to and say in our heart of hearts. If only I drove that Bentley, or if only I had that house in Belgravia, then my life would be complete. But as you know, it's a false reality. Because the moment we receive those very things that we believe will bring us true joy, the goalposts move, as it were. Because the heart, never satisfied, is always looking for the next best thing. Because our desires are often like shifting sands. What's more is if we pursue those things with the wrong heart and intention then those very things will end up controlling us and enslaving us. Which is why our God in his infinite mercy and wisdom, he gives us the first commandment of, I am the Lord your God, and you will have no other gods before me. Because essentially, it all boils down to a worship issue. That if God is not the primary object of our love, of our devotion and our worship, then inadvertently we will enthrone someone or something else. And that's exactly what we have seen repeatedly throughout the lives of Jacob, Leah and uh, Zacchaeus, Jacob and Leah, and we will see it again through the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's... Take a look. Now approximately six centuries before Christ, there rose a dominant superpower by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And he wasn't only a king, but he was also a general. And he expanded the Babylonian empire almost across the world. He was powerful and he was ambitious and at the same time he was ruthless and he was brutal as he systematically conquered and displaced the people of Syria and Egypt along with Israel. And then later on he also displaced the people of Judah by taking them captive. And if that wasn't bad enough, He also ransacked the temple in Jerusalem, totally leveling it all to the ground. Now, we may ask, well, where was God in all of this? And why would he allow such a thing to take place? Well, God was right there. You see, Yahweh had given Israel opportunity after opportunity, chance after chance. 
And he had sent prophet after prophet, calling them to amend their ways, to repent and to turn from their wicked ways. But Israel would not listen. But instead they continued to worship other Elohim or gods and thus provoking Yahweh to anger. And so in the end, Yahweh was forced to raise up a Nebuchadnezzar, an instrument of his judgment on his people. As Jeremiah 25 and verse 9, it reads, I am going to send for all the families of the north. This is the Lord's declaration. And send for my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, And I will bring them against this land, against its residents, and against all these surrounding nations, and I will completely destroy them. Wow. Now, even though Yahweh uses a Nebuchadnezzar as a vessel of his judgment... Throughout this whole entire process, Nebuchadnezzar becomes exceedingly powerful and prosperous. So much so, to the point where he makes the fatal error of thinking that it's all due to his own savvy and doing. That it's all down to his own skill and ability. And so God has to bring him down a peg or two, so to speak. And to remind him of his place. And he does so through the means of dreams. As in, his first dream is in Daniel chapter 2. It's where he sees this colossal statue towering over him. It has the head of gold, chest and arms of silver, stomach and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and then feet that are partly of iron and partly clay, which are later smashed to smithereens. In other words, this towering figure in the dream, it represented the kingdoms of the world, which included his own, which one day would all perish. And so, after receiving that dream, along with its interpretation, the king humbled himself. But it was short-lived, and it didn't last for very long. Because in the very next chapter, Daniel 3... Nebuchadnezzar, he erects a golden image, allegedly of himself, and he issues the decree for all to bow down and worship before it, or be thrown in the fire. But as you know, there were three militant Hebrews, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who were not impressed, and neither were they intimidated, and they refused To bow before this idol. And so the king gets angry. And he orders this furnace to be heated up seven times more than it's usual. And he orders the three Hebrews to be thrown in. 
But as you know, three go into the fire, but four come out. And the fourth one looks like the Son of Man whom we heard about last week from Brother David. Praise God. The pre-incarnate Christ was in there with in the fire. Hallelujah. And so, after receiving a warning in a dream, and after witnessing the three Hebrews walking out of the fire untouched and unscathed, Nebuchadnezzar, he still never fully surrenders. And so God again, in his mercy and in his patience, He gives the king another warning in a dream. Namely that of a mighty tree which will one day be cut down. And Daniel confirms that this tree is no other but the king. It represents Nebuchadnezzar. But again, it was like water off of a duck's back, as it were, because the king was still unfazed and unchanged. And then one day, as Nebuchadnezzar is walking along the royal balcony of his palace, he looks out across his kingdom and he says to himself, Is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? Daniel 4.30 In other words, am I not the master of all I survey? And while the words were still in his mouth, he was struck just as Yahweh decreed. And he became like a beast in the field and he ate grass like an ox for the next seven years wow I mean can you imagine one of the most powerful men in the world right now like say Biden or Putin that as they are walking around the grounds of the White House or the Kremlin that all of a sudden they are struck and transformed from being statesmanlike to being a wild animal. Where they begin to chew the grass like an ox and they become dirty and shabby with long fingernails almost like talons over time. It's insane to imagine, right? But that's exactly what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. But note that this judgment, it never came immediately. But it came after 12 months or a year later. Daniel 4.29, which demonstrates that our God is Erek Apayim, that he is slow to anger. Allowing people time to repent. But if they don't, then judgment is inevitable. It will fall. Now, why did this all come upon him? Very simply, because pride kills. Because Nebuchadnezzar 
He lifted himself up and he made boast of his own power. When God was calling him to humility and submission, but he went too far and he chose to ignore him. You see, pride is such an ugly trait that even God resists it. As James 4 tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. And the Bible warns that pride comes before a fall or destruction, Proverbs 16 and verse 18. And that's exactly what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the temptation which the king succumbed to, it isn't limited to that time period only. Oh no. But rather it is also very much a temptation to us today, even though we are thousands of years removed. Why? Because the message we receive from our culture is that we don't have to submit to anyone but self. That we are the master of our own fate, the captain of our own soul, that the power is in your hands because you're worth it, right? Isn't that the mantra that we hear from the world? But in all reality, though we may like to think that we are the center of the universe and that the world revolves around us, the truth is that we're not even in the middle of our Milky Way galaxy, let alone the center of the universe. I mean, 95% of the things which determine who we are are outside of our control. For instance, we have no power over which country, let alone which century, we will be born in, let alone who our parents will be. We have no power over our size and stature or even our body type, let alone the colour of our hair, our eyes or even our skin. And so to put it bluntly, we have zero power and zero control and therefore we are not the architects of our own making. But rather, we are finite beings that are dependent upon an infinitely all-powerful and yet merciful God. Amen. I mean, I can't even draw my very next breath unless he permits me to and gives me grace to do so. Now, I'm not saying that all power is a terrible thing and we need to steer clear. Not at all. But what I am saying is that we need to check our hearts. Because if we are seeking power and acclaim in order to make a name for ourselves, to be a somebody as opposed to a nobody, and drawing our significance and self-worth from that well, then it will all end in tears. Or if we are seeking power and prestige for the sake of control, to lord it over our brother and our sister, or to be a boss over somebody, to break their spirit, 
then it's the wrong spirit and it's not the Jesus way. But on the other hand, if we are seeking power to influence and to do good and to advance his kingdom both locally and globally and even organizationally, then more power to you. Because power in its rightful place in submission to King Jesus is a wonderful thing. Amen. Amen. Now, if you are unsure as to what this power harnessed looks like, then look no further than our Lord himself. Because in Jesus, we see the most powerful being in the entire cosmos who lays aside his power in order to serve and to save. You see, our hearts say, I will ascend above the highest clouds and I will make myself like the most high. But Jesus said, I will descend and go low for their sakes. Philippians 2. And Jesus not only talked the talk, but he also walked the walk. And we see this ever so clearly in the Gospel of John in the 13th chapter. It's where the Lord wraps a towel around his waist and he goes low to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, in order to understand the significance of this event and this act we need to understand that roads in ancient Israel were not paved with marble and stone and kept clean and tidy oh no but rather they were dusty and they were unclean and on top of this they were constantly walked upon by stray dogs and donkeys and in addition to this Sanitation, it was substandard. Has they never had flushing toilets back in the day? And so at times, waste would overspill onto the streets. And so it was essential that before you entered a house, to that, uh, and particularly before you sat down at a meal, that your feet were washed. And this task... It was reserved for the lowest servant in the house. But note here that this lowly task is undertaken by the Most High. Wow. Doesn't that blow your mind? And if this was unprecedented, because there is no record of any rabbi ever doing such a thing. Because according to Jewish purity laws, it was considered unclean and impermissible. But here is one, the one who rules with sovereign power. And he stoops low to do a lowly task and thus models humility. I tell you, if you want to ever want to kill your pride then just look to Jesus and follow his example. 
Because as one preacher said, the way up is down and the way down is up in his upside down kingdom. Or as Matthew 23, 12 puts it, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Amen. Coming back to Nebuchadnezzar. And even though God's judgment fell on him, but it wasn't permanent. It was only temporary. You see, God wasn't after retribution or payback, but rather he was after correction. As verse 26 tells us, that the tree wouldn't be cut down to the root, but a stump would be left and it would grow back. And so, after seven years, Nebuchadnezzar finally learned his lesson. And in his own words, he testifies and says, At the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honoured and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Daniel 4, 34, glory. And God reinstated him. Praise Jesus. Now, on a much smaller scale, I can so relate. Can you? You see, before going off to Bible college, I worked as a project coordinator for an IT company, coordinating installations of touchscreen tills for top sh- shops like Topshop, Topman, Dorothy Perkins, etc. And I enjoyed just bringing the whole project together from the build to installation and then finally to sign off. It was great. But then after a while, the work dried up. And so it meant that I had to go and work in the warehouse and I absolutely hated it. Because it was around the winter time. And so I went from working in a lovely warm office to now working in a freezing cold warehouse and it was not good. And on top of that, I had a supervisor who was just so power hungry that she just loved ordering me around. And as you can imagine, my pride took a bit of a hit. However, God used that situation to shape me and to mould me. Because as my idol of pride was broken shortly after God opened up the door to Bible college. And so what actually seemed like a demotion was in fact a promotion beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you Jesus. Glory to your name. In fact I love how Craig Rochelle puts it. He says we don't always have the power to control but we do have the power to surrender and God can do more through our surrender than we can do through our 
control. I'll say that last line again. That God can do more through our surrender and submission to him than we can do through our control. And so let us humble ourselves under his mighty hand so that at the proper time he may exalt us. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. Amen. You see, the temptation of creating an altar and worshipping an idol of power and control is all around us. And it affects every single one of us. But the truth is, we cannot control a thing apart from our very own response to the very hand that we have been dealt. And if we try to assert power or grasp for more control for the sake of looking good and for presenting a false persona, say, then we become more anxious and out of control. And so, let us relinquish any semblance of control that we think we may have and let us lean back into the Father's love knowing that everything that we are and everything that we have it is all grace and it is all gift because as the hymn writer once wrote nothing to the world I bring it's simply to the cross I cling And so wherever you are today, if you are full of it and feeling powerful, then give God thanks. But at the same time, humble yourselves under his mighty hand and watch your hearts lest it be lifted up in pride against him. Or if you're feeling powerless this morning, And the task ahead of you seems insurmountable right now. Then simply the invitation is put your trust in him. Humble yourselves and lean on him. And he will lift you up. He really will. Even when we think that our backs are against the wall. And that there is nothing and no one. That we need somebody to intervene. When we have no one. And when we realize that we have come to the end of ourselves, it is then that we come to the beginning of who God is. Because Jesus plus nothing is enough. More than enough. And so, wherever you are, rest in him. Be still and know that he is your God. He is for you. And if you are here this morning and you don't know this Jesus that we have been singing about, this Jesus that we have been speaking of, and perhaps you may have questions, come and speak with us. But I invite you as well, put your trust in him. Simply call upon him. Because he doesn't disappoint. He doesn't know how to. But let us not seek the power that corrupts. 
But let us pray for more of his power that we may amputate the idols of our heart and that we may enthrone him in his rightful place within the throne room of our hearts. Amen. Let's examine our hearts and like David pray, Lord, search me and know me. And see if there be any wicked way within me. Remove it and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Amen. Now, as we close, allow me to finish with a poem written by my dear mother-in-law, Jackie Whitehead, who has such a wonderful way with words. And I believe that she has captured the heart and the very essence of this series. And it reads, Take a piece of stone, chisel it to shape, place it on a plinth and before it bow and scrape, or take a piece of wood, whittle it quite well, then attribute it with qualities beyond a parallel. These idols of tradition still exist somewhere today, but our new sophistication means we found another way. But worship, yes, we must. It is intrinsic to mankind. To worship is inbuilt. It dwells in heart, in soul, in mind. So whatever we may worship and whatever shape it takes, the tragedy is in the end they are quite simply fakes. The one true God who made us is the one we should adore, not settle for some imitation, powerless and poor. For the power of God within a life today many deny, but our worship surely will reveal the things we glorify. So in our daily adoration, glorify his name and illuminate this dark, dark world with his eternal Flame. Is that good? In short, let us put away every conceivable idol and let us worship the Christ with our finances, in our relationships, and with all of our might and our power. And let us live a life that is worthy of the gospel. So that if anyone were to ever look at our lives, they will see that money, sex and power is not our God, but Christ is. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Father, we want to thank you for your provenient grace. That grace, Lord God, which hounded us down, it chased us down. It was that grace that opened our hearts up, Lord God, that we could behold your glory and your beauty. It was that grace, Father, that ravished our hearts in the first place and weaned us off of the trinkets of this world. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that God, that there is no end to you, Lord God, that we will spend an entire eternity chasing you down, trying to pin you down and being unsuccessful. 
never being able to get to the end of who you are because God you are just so great and so awesome and so powerful and you are the one who deserves our veneration and our worship oh God so father we thank you That you are the one, God, who disattaches us from our idols, Lord. And we thank you that you have attached us to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are, Father, life itself. And as we move towards you, we find the fullness of it, God. We move away from it and we find nothing but death and despair because you are the very source of life. And Father, I pray, God... That God, that we will know this abundant, mighty ocean, Lord God, within our lives. That we will know this river flowing through us. That God, that we will just be able to walk after you, serve you, Lord, with everything that we are and everything that we have. That God, that more and more, Lord, that as we walk this walk of faith, that God, that you will just untangle us from those sins, those besetting sins, Lord, that we often find ourselves in. That God, you will help us to fix our gaze on you, to fix our focus on you, that all that we are and have, it is yours. So God, help us to steward the things that are in our possessions. Help us to take your lead, God, and to, to Father, to just to follow your lead, God, in becoming a servant leader, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus, to walk, Lord God, in your power, to be with you, to become like you, and to do as you did. So, Father, we thank you for all that you have done. And God, we thank you that our hearts are so full of gratitude and praise because of your greatness and your infinite worth. So Lord, I pray that you will continue to open our eyes and continue to open our hearts, God, that we, Lord, may host more of your presence within our lives. That Father, that Lord, any residue of any idols that we may have carried, God, I pray, Lord, that they will be, Lord, that they would crumble. And I pray, God, that you will be enthroned upon the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.